Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. And of course, in this program, we get the opportunity of talking to a lot of people in the great game of Australian football and people who've made their mark on the field mostly. But this gentleman made his mark off the field because he was in charge of the game for a seven-year period between 1996 and 2003. It's a pleasure to have Wayne Jackson as my special guest on this edition of the program. Wayne, good to talk to you. Thank you, Ben. Nice to chat to you too. Where does life find you at the moment? What are you up to? I'm living in uh, Adelaide, Peter, which is a hometown. We've lived here most of our lives other than our seven and a bit years in Melbourne and we had the stint overseas. But um, um, I'm now basically retired. Uh, We've got a a farm at a place called Willaluka uh, in the upper southeast of South Australia. I spend a, a couple of weeks a month down there. Um, I've just recently retired from a number of boards after um, a period of time because I'm well into my 70s now and um, and learning to relax a little bit. And still in good health? Uh, yes, other than knees and ankles and <laughs> shoulders and all the things that uh, you know, sportsmen and farmers run into over a period of time. So, yes, in good health. Thank you, Peter. What do you What do you run on the farm, Wayne? What sort of animals have you got? Well, it's it's a long story, uh, Peter, and I'm sure you'll you jump in when it's getting a bit too long. But I first bought a small farm in the Adelaide Hills in 1980, um, about 180 acres, and and enjoyed that um, for 10 years or so, 12 years, and uh, because it was an outlet away from um, the commercial life that I was involved in, both at Hardy's Wines and uh, the South Australian Brewing Company. And then uh, in 1993, we bought our first block at a place called Willaluka, as I said, in the upper southeast, which is between Keith and Pathway. It's a beautiful part of the world. And um, since then, we've bought another four adjoining places and sold one. So we've now got uh, pretty close to 4,000 acres. And in answer specifically to your question, we run uh, Angus cows and uh, produce vealers. And we've now got a a, a number of um, Merino ewes and Suffolk ewes, 3,500, I think, in total. And we sell um, sell, uh, lamb and uh, and wool. So uh, it's a mixture of cattle and sheep which is quite common in that part of South Australia. 
Well, when you've got that much ground, Wayne, and you've got that many animals, there'd still be a fair bit of work to be done. So you might be retired, but I'm sure there's something to do every day. Yes, well, my greatest fantasy, I think, Peter, is that um, that when I go down there, I'm helpful to our farm manager. I've got a, a, a chappy there called David Gilbertson who's been with me for 20 years, and he and his family look after the place. And as I said earlier, I get down there twice a month for about four days at a time and do lots of little things that um, that um, you know I can do that saves uh, David doing and um, it seems to be working okay so but as you say I don't think any farm farmer is ever ever totally satisfied that he's on top of everything that's going on on, on their place. Well, I've got five and a quarter acres and I've been out of town for about uh, nine years and that takes a fair bit of managing. So I can only imagine how much managing it takes when you've got that much land. Yeah, well, when I I didn't do it really for commercial reasons. I I did it, as I touched on earlier, to have a break from um, our CEO of Hardy's Wines for a a long period of time and uh, then uh, managing director of South Australian Brewing Company and... um, and then into the AFL football um, scene, so it, it was a it was a really nice place to go and have a break. And and as you know, even with your small number of acres, uh, listening to birds and yeah. watching things grow, and and not having the pressures of, of city life on you all the time, uh, it's a good break, and it's not something we've ever regretted. Are you an avid footy watcher these days, Wayne? Yes, I go. Um, we've got the beautiful Adelaide Oval now, yeah. um, Peter. But before that, we had Football Park, and my wife and I go uh, every week. Uh, I certainly don't miss a match, whether it's Crows or Power playing Adelaide Oval. Occasionally go to uh, to Melbourne, of course, to watch games there. Uh, and this coming year, uh, we'll probably go to Darwin and Alice Springs to even watch one of the teams play up there. So. Uh, yes, I enjoy footy very much. I watch a lot of schoolboy football. Um, um, so it's always been a passion. That that wasn't the result, Peter, of the seven years in Melbourne. I've uh, been involved in footy up to my neck um, for you know decades and, uh, and love it very much. Yeah, we'll talk about your upbringing in football shortly, but you spoke about the Adelaide Oval, Wayne. Uh, who do you barrack for? I barrack for the Crows. Right. Have you recovered after the grand final last year? That was a bad. Uh, that was a bad day to produce your worst performance of the year because they uh, were the dominant team of the competition, but they just had a shocker on grand final day. Yes, uh, and and no excuses either, Peter. There can be no excuses. The um, what people so often forget is the Crows were even front, were even in front. Yeah, the quarter time on grand final day, and to be blown away, it was a, it was a disgraceful effort and um, oh, no I shouldn't say effort it was a disgraceful result for, for the Crows and um, and it'll be interesting to see whether we can bounce back from that I, I've got great confidence in Don Pike and the administration of the Crows so one would hope that would be the case but uh, full marks to Richmond not only did they win the premiership I think what they've done in the month since uh, the grand final I think they've handled it very very well Peter you know, there's a couple of days of rightfully, um, you know, playfully uh, playing up on the grand final, but they seem to have knuckled down and, and getting back into uh, 2018. So, full marks for Richmond Footy Club and uh, 
let's see where they can go on with it. And on the other hand, the Crows do have to uh, bounce back pretty solidly because nothing's given, as you well know, Peter, at this stage of the year, there's 18 teams are all, all going to be better next year in 2018 than they were in 2017. So we won't know anything for another six months or so. Yeah, and everybody's flying at this time of the year. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. never trained better. <laughs> That's always the case. Skin holes and they're yes. running quicker and further yeah. and jumping higher and all their injuries are disappearing and... Uh, and then it will all come to a thundering change in about late March. Yes. All right. We're all looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the next break because I want to find out from you, Wayne, where the football journey began. We'll explore that when we come back on the other side of the break with Wayne Jackson, my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And it's a great pleasure to have Wayne Jackson as my special guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. Wayne, where did you fall in love with the game of footy? Well, I think mum and dad started all of that, as it so often is the case, Peter. I think I've been playing footy, you know, I certainly started at six or seven years at age at a school called Allenby Gardens in South Australia. Played through till I was 31, and then those. 25 odd years. I think I lost one game through injury, which is not a bad result. And um, uh, from all of that time, from school footy, we used to go and watch a team called West Torrens here in Adelaide. They've subsequently merged to become Woodville West Torrens. But mum and dad and our family went every football every weekend to the footy at Feberton Oval and we stood up and watched finals and grand finals at the Adelaide Oval for you know six hours and then um, and then I went on and played at secondary school, um, played for three years at Adelaide University, and then at age 21 went out and um, uh, started playing with uh, West Torrens, where I played for played and coached for 10 years, and uh, and that was the end of the playing side of it, Peter, and uh, um, and enjoyed, and my family enjoyed it, and my my new family, I. Uh, a wife of 47 years or thereabouts and three children. We all enjoy still going to footy too. So um, um, I don't know what the attraction is specifically, but uh, we've been part of it for a long period of time. You touched on your time, Wayne, as a player and a coach at West Torrens. I think I'm right in saying that you played uh, 71 games and kicked three goals. Do you remember the three goals? (laughs) Kind of, yes. (laughs) I didn't. I, I I was not a very good. I uh, was just a, a hard try. When I went to Melbourne, Peter, you know, after people got over the shock of a non-Victorian being appointed to the to follow Ross Oakley, yes. um, and people would say, "Well, how many games did you play uh, at the SAFL?" And I'd say, oh, "I played seventy-two in the whatever it was, seventy seventy-two in the." League team, and I played the same number as in the in the reserves because they're they very similar, number 70, 71. And somehow they got, got transposed into I played 144 games, which, <laughs> uh, which, which sort of gave me some credibility I hadn't really earned. And I was always embarrassed about it, and I corrected people, but they kept saying that he's played 140 games for, for West Torrance. So it gave me some, um, some credit or credence which I hadn't really earned so uh, yeah, yeah 
that's how that went. Was there always an appetite, Wayne, to make the transition from player and coach to administrator, or was it something that organically involved and it just happened along the way? It, it just happened, um, Peter, because I was the reserves coach at the West Times when Billy Barrett came over, the late Bill Barrett, yeah. who died, as you probably know, in the last year or so. And Bill came over to coach our league side, and um, after a year and a half, early in the second season that Bill was here, um, we were going through a terrible run up love no wins and six losses or something and Bill and the, and the board or the, at the time the parted company so they were looking for a coach Bill left um, you know mid after about six games and and um, the the committee said look well I mind coaching the league side next week whilst they look for a coach and uh, I was a Torrens bloke through the bootstraps and said well I'll do what I can anyway so I coach that following week we won first game for the year I think and then um, then they said well hang on for the second week and we'll keep looking and uh, and we won again well the inevitable happened and we, we started winning a number of games and so we end up making the finals Peter for the first time I think for 20 odd years so um, when the season completed, the committee said, well, I please coach for the following year, the coach, you know, permanently, uh, the league team, and including the next year. And I said, no, I wouldn't, because I was uh, at that stage company secretary of Thomas Hardy and Sons. I had a wife and three kids uh, and all the other activities that go on. Um, and so I, so I said, no, I wouldn't. And then they said, well, we'll be assistant coach again. I said, no, I wouldn't do that either because that's not fair on the incoming coach who, who follows somebody that had a bit of success. If if um, the, if the team falls off the rails a bit, well, then there'll be all of the let's go back to Jackson bit. And um, so I said, no, I wouldn't. And in the end, they um, got me no Tiso the coach. Um and um, anyway, so well, what about coming on the committee? So I said, oh, yeah, I'll come on the committee. If I'm not coaching, I'll do something. Oh, I'm happy to nominate for the committee. So I got on the committee, and um, and I don't know what happened, Peter, but the first meeting I went to, I was elected chairman. <laughs> um, and so at 31 years of age, I was chairman of West Torrens Football Club, and the treasurer... Uh, at that time, asked to see me after the meeting, and uh, and we met. And he said, "Look, uh, you ought to know we're broke." I said, "What do you mean we're broke?" He said, "Well, we can't pay the players. Uh, um, we haven't got any money." So he and I put a budget together. We went to the National Bank at a place called Finden in South Australia uh, with a, a three-year plan, a three-year budget. And the end result of which the bank said, "Look, we'll loan you." the money uh, for uh, if as long as you stay chairman for three years and implement the plan. And I said, well, I can't guarantee that because I'm elected by the members. And they said, well, that's your problem. If you if we loan you the money, you've got to stay there for three years. So we did that. We worked our way through the financial aspects of the club and became strong again. And Neil Curley ended up our, during that time, ended up as our coach and helped on the field success. And we... Uh, like so many clubs do, went from a period of near bankruptcy to a period of uh, being able to trade profitably. Now, that coincided then with the South Australian National Football League Commission 
looking for a member or two and and they asked me to go on the commission uh, which I did uh, as well as being the the Torrens, West Torrens uh, chairman and that took us right through until the or 1990, 1989, 90 when the Crows came about so I was part of uh, that uh, and then stayed on until finally I think in 1996 uh, the power became into the competition, their first season in 97. But we went through a transition of trying to find out how to best put a second SAFL team into the uh, AFL. And so um, so all that just sort of evolved. Uh, it, was, it wasn't an ambition. It wasn't something that was planned. Um, you were just, you know, trying to do the very best you could in the job you had. And from that, somebody invited you to do something else, and it grew and grew. And, and so come 1995-ish, uh, um, um, uh, the Crows nominated me to the AFL Commission uh, because John Winicky, uh was going had to leave because he was going into the, uh, I think it was the Supreme Court or yes. some higher court in, in Victoria. And there was a vacancy, and um, they asked me to, nom- to fill that. And then at the following meeting, I had to put myself before the the members, i.e. the other clubs, and was formally appointed uh, to the commission in 1995. And then shortly thereafter, Ross um, Oakley um, uh, decided to retire after 10 or 11 years, and um, uh, I was asked to eventually asked to um, take on that role, which I did in uh, late 1996. When you were asked about that, Wayne, was it a five-second decision to say, oh, yes, I'll do that, or was it something that you really deeply considered because you knew the scrutiny that goes along with being in that chair? Well, I was really enjoying Peter being a, a, a non-executive commission member, uh, and um, so I was aware of the process that the commission was going through to find a Ross's successor, but never contemplated doing it myself um, because I was at the time managing director of the South Australian Brewing Company and enjoying life in, in Adelaide. Um, and um, uh, when I was eventually asked by the executive search firm to... Um, to show some interest on it. Obviously, I came home and spoke to my wife, and um, and I, I uh, our, our view was, well, look, we were at that stage, 53 years of age. Our youngest daughter was 18, so if ever we're going to make a move uh, from Adelaide and do something a bit different, this was probably it. So I did throw my hat into the ring, or accept the offer to to um, to be part of the AFL in an executive sense, and. Um, um, and absolutely loved every minute I was there. So that's the background of that. Well, as always, when you're in the big chair in that job and such a, a scrutinised position, as we said, you could be Prime Minister of Australia, you could be captain of the Australian cricket team, but sometimes being Chief Executive of the AFL gets even more scrutiny. And when we come back on the other side of the break, I'll talk to Wayne Jackson a little bit more about some of the moments when he was in the big chair at AFL House. Wayne Jackson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. 
listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And delighted to have former AFL Chief Executive Officer Wayne Jackson as my guest on the program. Wayne, you do step into the big chair and you do so at a turbulent time in the game because Fitzroy and Brisbane, uh, as we knew them, were uh, in their death throes, if you like. Uh, Fremantle had come into the competition. Port Adelaide was about to come in. It was, uh, it was an amazing time in the game. It, it it was and um, uh, and full marks to Ross Oakley who you know was driving um, a lot of a lot of that with the um, commission um, and shortly thereafter of course um, we started to think about the future of Waverley um, and we'll probably come back to that in a minute um, Peter but um, I, I think I was like people used to say oh it must be so hard being a non-Victorian I actually think coming from South Australia and not knowing anybody in AFL footy other than for that period of time when I was a non-executive commissioner, obviously got to know some of the people in the clubs. But um, the fact that that, uh, I didn't have a lot of roots in Victoria, I think made my job easier because I was able to come in um, with, well, loosely a fresh face, but came in and able to form my own view about issues and people and performances and not have been influenced by what I'd seen or heard in the last year or two or three or indeed the history of the last 10 years in the case of personalities and clubs and issues that clubs had with the AFL. So I was able to um, start with a clean slate and, and full marks for the the clubs at that time, they recognised that and and uh, we were able to, you know, deal with each other as we found them rather than be bogged down with traditions and histories of the past. So I think in, in retrospect, and I thought at the time too, that being a, a clean skin was going to be helpful. Of course, the footy fans in Victoria didn't believe that because they didn't believe anyone other than the Victorian could run the <laughs> AFL. Well, um, that's proven not to be the case more than once, uh, I think. You touched on Waverley, Wayne. Was it simply the fact that it had run its race? It was a wonderful idea, and I spent many happy days watching football and calling football at Waverley. But was it the tyranny of distance, the fact it was so far out, they never got a train line in out there, and it just had its day? Was that simply it? Well, I think Waverley was a... Um, Waverley, we lost Waverley because we had the opportunity of going to the Docklands um, and we couldn't have two um, AFL-owned grounds because you know, financially that couldn't work. And when you thought about Waverley and its distance from the city, um, no public transport, it was in a rain belt, um, it was shaped like a saucer rather than a cup, in other words, people were so far away from the footy. Mm. Um, there were just so many things that were unattractive uh, 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 about Waverley relative to another stadium being built in the city. And, and that stadium, of course, um, um, kick-started the development of the Docklands, uh, which is now an amazing part of Melbourne for uh, any of us that don't, you know, don't see it all that often. Um, so the Dockland Stadium um, kick-started Melbourne. The AFL uh, put down a, a $30 million uh, a payment, which we 
got from the sale of the first Hamas rights from the broadcasting television networks. And uh, in return for that, all we had to do, um, Peter, was for, I think it was for 25 years, was to play about 37 games a year there. And then the, then the stadium became the AFL's own stadium, uh, freehold rights, um, um, for, for no further payment. So um, it's been a wonderful deal for the AFL. It will be even better now because, as you know, and your listeners may know, the AFL actually have bought that stadium in the last year or so. Yeah. And we'll, we'll obviously invest in it and be able to make the experience for the footy fans uh, improved on, on what it has previously been. But for many of us, um, and certainly interstate people as well, um, the Etihad Stadium is as good a stadium as any in the country to watch footy, uh, and the facilities in there are first class. So I uh, think that it's been a wonderful investment for the AFL and will continue to be so. So back to your question, um, we couldn't guarantee say 35, 37 games a year at, um, at the Eddie, now Etihad Stadium and um, maintain the Waverley Stadium because financially they just can't work. So uh, the, the Waverley Stadium was uh, foregone uh, for the opportunity to move into the city. You hadn't been in the chair long, Wayne, when round one 1997 rolled around and Greg Williams pushed umpire Andrew Coates and... It started off a pretty messy chapter in the game. Was that something that could have been handled better at the time? Um, I, gu- I guess when you look back at things, uh, if, when, if things are a bit messy, they can, they can or could have been handled better. I've, I've never reflected on how we could have done that any differently. Um, I've always felt for Greg because we all saw what happened and, and um, whatever his intentions were, he knows um, I had the responsibility of enforcing the rules of the league. I went to the hearings every day and sat there and uh, um, uh, as the uh, you know, proceedings unfolded. Um, I've always felt for Greg on that because you know I don't think he did anything that he intentionally did maliciously, but he broke the rules according to the AFL and, and that was proven to be supported. Um, but it wasn't a happy time for anybody. Uh, I've seen Greg several times since, well, obviously since I've left, but um, um, yeah, I don't know whether it could be handled differently, but um, what the great result of that was is that we set up an appeals tribunal uh, Peter, so when a player was found guilty of an offence, he could then go to an independent appeal uh, if he wished to. And as a result of that, I don't think we'll end up in court again like we did with Greg because there's a process in-house to deal with that and the courts will say, well, look, you know, you've been... Um, this has happened um, or you've been found guilty of an offence... You've had the right to appeal what you've done. You're still guilty. What, why are you coming to a court of law? 
you know, the game will um, deal with that itself. And it has um, subsequently. And uh, so that was one of the few good things that come from it. That doesn't help Greg, of course, or or some people believing the process may have been messy, but it was eventually a good outcome for the game. You were also in the chair, Wayne, when one of the biggest stories in football broke, and that was surrounding Wayne Carey and Anthony Stevens. How much of that was a balancing act? Because there hadn't been anything illegal done at that time. It was more a moral thing rather than a legal thing. Was that a balance that was very difficult to walk for the AFL at that time? Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think it was um, Peter because um, it was very much. I think our view was, and I haven't really reflected on this before. I think our view was it was an issue uh, between Wayne and the Stevens family and the North Melbourne Footy Club, mm. uh, and it, it wasn't really an issue for the AFL um, specifically or. That's something that we had to uh, get involved in. Now, today it might be a little bit different, but then it was seen to be, you know, a very um, um, sad uh, event uh, um, within the Melbourne, North Melbourne Footy Club and and the individuals in the club had to deal with it as best uh, they could. But uh, certainly the AFL didn't in any way get involved or pressured anybody or sympathise with anybody. Our position, I think, was neutral uh, at that time, yeah. And that leads me to another question, and I'm not asking you to dump on the current administration. I'm asking you, just as a a man who's been in the chair, your viewpoint of the way that the scandal at the AFL was handled uh, last year involving... Simon Lethleen in particular, was that, again, was that a moral issue rather than a business issue or was it a combination of both? Well, I, I truly don't know, Peter. I, I, I suspect you know more about it than I because I only know what I read in the paper. Um, but we all know that the sensitivities of both sexes uh, are far more to the fore today than they were 10 and 20 years ago and uh, and the AFL administration I and uh, supported by the commission took a particular view and took a particular stance um, uh, and so be it. I, I don't know whether it, it was um, um, how that all unfolded because as I repeat I only know what I've mm. read but I thought Gillen and the uh, and the commission handled that very well. I mean the end result is I think that Simon's now at the Secure Football Club, isn't he? So he's yes. back in back into the game. Um, they paid their they paid their penance, and um, um, whether it was a moral judgment or anything else, I, I don't know what went through the uh, minds and what thought process uh, Gillam and the team would have had. Peter, as someone who sat at the big desk, Wayne, how do you think Gill's doing? Uh, I think he's doing exceptionally well. Uh, you know, he had a ha- very hard act to uh, follow because I think Andrew, you know, um, I-, I think he did an excellent job too, but he's a very different personality. He, you know, some of the things that have happened in footy, e.g. the Adelaide Oval development, mm. uh, would not have happened without, uh, you know, the aggressive prodding and pushing and leadership of Andrew and... Um, 
uh, and um, I guess the same could apply to GWS and uh, and the Gold Coast. So um, Gillen brings a different dimension that I think he uh, you know is soft, and I don't mean as I don't mean soft. I mean softer uh, relative to um, the way Andrew approached things. So um, and I think some of the big ticket items like. Uh, the women's competition, like the broadcasting rights negotiations, um, um, this new um, uh, A-to-side competition, etc., is all Gillen's uh, happening under Gillen's watch. So I, um, I would have thought, you know, all the the numbers would support the fact that he and the current team and the um, and the commission are doing very, very well, Peter. You know better than most, Wayne, that that's what that position can do to you yes. at times. Yes. Did it take yes. a toll on you in that regard at all? Because it is it is all-consuming. It is so under the microscope when you are the head of that organisation, which is yeah. such a big part of people's lives. Did it have any toll on you in that regard? Um, I, I don't, I, I, uh, it did in the sense that one was um, forever tired. Peter, um, and you're, you know, you'd be not going from crisis to crisis, but there are always important things to deal with, and people always thought their issues were more important than than anybody else's. So you're always under constant pressure, and um, um, uh, but I, I mean, certainly no long-term toll. I think I was tired for six months after leaving the uh, <laughs> AFL. It's not a case of just having a week off and then. You know, um, you, you you get used to the living with the pressure and the uh, and the commitment of time. Um, but no, I don't think there's any long term toll. But just um, you know, just all the the characteristics that come with constant pressure. As you said, I think a little bit earlier that you know, other than the, uh, the well, when the, I was there, Jeff Kennett and uh, Steve Brax were the premiers of the state and I think you know them aside I don't think there's a job in Melbourne that attracted more interest or in fact I think the AFL CEO was probably under more pressure or people cared I should say more about their footy team than they really cared about the economics of the state or the you know the road the net road network or anything else so um, that brings its pressures and um, but but no I was fortunate, I think, no long-term toll, um, not that I'm aware of anyway. It's always a joy to have an hour to talk to my guests. I wish I had more, and so time is on the wing. We're going to take our final break, Wayne, and when we come back, we'll wrap things up with your great achievements at the AFL and perhaps where you see the game going forward as well. The former Chief Executive, Wayne Jackson, is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives every day of the year, and we'll be back to wrap things up with Wayne on the other side of the break. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Our final segment with Wayne Jackson. Wayne, your predecessor, Ross Oakley, was a guest on this program not long ago, and I asked him the same question that I am about to ask you. And that is obviously everything you did when you were in the big chair was well documented, but is there something that you are particularly proud of that doesn't necessarily garner the attention of the big decisions that got all the publicity? Uh, well, yeah. So putting aside your your Waverleys and uh, etc., um, 
I think we did a pretty good job of that time and in, in, and in the circumstances of the day in keeping a club like the Western Bulldogs, uh, like North Melbourne and like Melbourne, uh, you know, economically alive. You, you touched um, a, a while ago, Peter, on the, um, the so-called merger between, with uh, Melbourne and uh, Hawthorne that, that didn't take place. Mm. But there was a lot of pressure... On the on David Smorgan at the Western Bulldogs and uh, uh, Ron Casey and the, the groups that uh, followed at North Melbourne um, uh, and um, about the Joseph Goodnick days at Melbourne as well for part of that time. So what wasn't uh, and I don't think still is commonly understood unless you've got a guy like David on board, uh, David Smorgan was the, the massive pressures these fellows were under just to keep their clubs going. And the AFL was particularly helpful behind the, well, not behind the scenes, but unknown to other people and, and eventually led to those clubs with much stronger boards and a much more commercial approach and with a lot of help from the AFL, you know, are surviving uh, today. So I think, you know, it's just fantastic to see Melbourne coming through the Bulldogs of the Premiership, and you know, but will be around the place, and and the Kangaroos, um, you know, presumably growing and improving. So, um, you know, that's something that the normal footy fan doesn't see, uh, but the clubs are really appreciative, I think, of the AFL help. Geelong was another one. Geelong and the Brian Cook and Frank Costa have done an unbelievable job, and now Colin Carter. Uh, in redeveloping that um, that Geelong ground, and uh, and that was the case where Geelong had a very different view than the AFL, and that Geelong's view was correct uh, in terms of investing at um, uh, at Cadinia Park and growing a regional football club, whereas the AFL, for part of my time there at least, was keen to see them playing at uh, playing in Melbourne. So that was the case where you know strategically the views of the Geelong Football Club were proved to be more accurate than those of the AFL. Um, but I think, you know, every day there's things that, that... There's a great relationship between the clubs uh, and the senior people in the clubs and the AFL and the senior people there. And, you know, the day, the days of John Elliott, like John would ring me and say, look, now, don't don't worry about this, but I'm really going to get stuck in the AFL next week because we've got an election in two weeks' time. <laughs> and there's nothing they like more than me taking on the AFL. So <laughs> away you go, and there'll be a headline, you know, in two or three days' time from John, um, really castigating the AFL. And, of course, if he did it in those days, then Eddie would follow on and vicky versa. Mm. Um, but those days uh, appear to have gone now, and there's a... A, a greater understanding of the fact that we're all in it together, uh, that you need to have an independent body running the game, and uh, and um, um, and there's some very competent, capable officials at the AFL and at Clubland, and now with well-governed boards there, Peter, whereas uh, that wasn't the case you know, a long time, well, not so long ago. Um, I mean, I think... A, uh, an AFL club now has a, a board 
as world governors most would be in, in, in private industry. Finally, Wayne, we're just about out of time, but I want to go from the past to the future and I want the crystal ball to come out. And if I could briefly run a couple of things past you, a night or a twilight grand final, do you think it's inevitable? Yes. When do you think we'll see twilight. it? Yeah, twilight. Yes, twilight, I think, is inevitable, yes. Just in the next few years, is it time now? No, I think next year, two or three, we'll see a twilight uh, uh, grand final. Yes, I do. And yeah. the last point, we talked about the Melbourne-Hawthorne merger. We talked about North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, Footscray, and their tenuous link to survival at various times. Do you think... These days, with all of the television money that goes into the game, nine clubs in Melbourne and and Geelong, is it too much? Is it time that we need to look to different areas of Australia to maybe put another team there and to to spread the gospel? Uh, Yeah, well, I've been, you know, have a strong view about this for some period of time now. Um, Peter, the answer is yes. There are too many teams in Melbourne, but... Uh, I think we've missed the opportunity a couple of years ago with the Gold Coast when, I, as I understand it, we got within a hair's breadth of getting the Kangaroos up to uh, yeah. the Gold Coast, which, um, but, but now they're reinvesting in Arden Street. So the AFL seems to have taken the position that we've got these nine clubs plus Geelong in Melbourne that we're going to support them, we can afford to support them, but, but we've now got, of course, another eight clubs uh, outside of Melbourne, which we didn't formally have. So what that what that might mean one day as we grow the game and, you know, and there may be a club in Tasmania or there may be one in um, um, northern Queensland or whatever, uh, maybe one in New Zealand, you may end up thinking about, you know, two-tier competition or two conferences that I can envisage. I'm not suggesting it will happen, but I think it could happen uh, because I don't think in another 20 years' time, 30 years' time, we'll still have 10 Victoria or nine Melbourne-based teams um, in, in, uh, in one national competition. We might have 20 teams and two conferences or 22 teams and two conferences, but but, but not the structure will be different than it is now, I would have thought. For those of us who love the game, we often praise the incumbents for what they're doing to make the game so enjoyable for us, the fans, but we we need to think of the people who put the framework in place, and you are certainly one of those people. It's been a delight to talk to you. Enjoy the sound of those birds singing in the morning, and enjoy yeah. the semi-retirement. I'm sure you'll still be busy one way or the other, but uh, it's been a delight to talk to you, Wayne. Thank you, Peter, and George, same to you too. Wayne Jackson, the former Chief Executive of the AFL joining us as our special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and we'll be back to celebrate the life of another great Australian sportsperson same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.